0: All right let's pray father we ask again for your guidance as we open the word and we ask spirit that you would uh, teach us and that you would enable me to say things that are helpful and clear and that we might uh, revel more in this wonderful book we pray it in jesus name amen um, okay just a question to start is there a book of the bible that you turn to more frequently than the book of psalms Do you? You go to Nehemiah the most? Okay. Uh, for myself, I don't, I, there's probably no other book I go to more often than the Psalms. Like if I'm just don't know where to read or just looking for things, I'm in the Psalms. Um, that's may, maybe I phrased the question improperly, right? But uh, the, the Psalms are loved, right? Um, why is that? Because they're, they're true? Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I can't get anything past you guys. Right, exactly, yeah. I, I there, yeah, yeah. Were you going to say something? I was going to say it's just more emotional. It's, it's less historical. Effect. Yes. It's, it has more to do with being a human being and God's child. That's a good way to to phrase it, more uh, being a human being. Emotional, emotional. right. You find depression in there and identify with and love and all kinds Yes. yes. Yes, every emotion. And that's what I think it is. I think it's the emotions and the heart behind it. And the reason is, is because these are songs. And what does a good song do? It has emotion, right? A a good song, uh, and I'm thinking specifically in the context of... uh, the christian life right takes truth combines it with a tune and that evokes feelings of emotion in response to the truth and the music helps that right so the songs the psalms are songs we just don't have the music but you have that same emotional heart language Right? And so I think that's why we so instinctively can read the psalms and just connect with them. Right? And you don't even have to understand all the nuances of the psalm. You don't have to understand uh, the original language. You don't understand the context, but you can resonate with the emotional language that is, that is in the psalms. Okay? So the Psalms, they do, they, they have a number of things. They help us express, express praise and adoration to God, confession of sin, lament, anger, fear, sorrow, joy, and delight. Right? These are all emotions and languages that, that, that we feel and we respond to. Um, they give us language to help us respond properly to God's self, self-revelation. And so in this, uh, these various feelings, these truths that are being com- conveyed, uh, the Psalms are teaching us. Right? We're being taught what it looks like to worship God in these various ways. Uh, they're teaching us about what God-glorifying emotions look like. Um, and then, as we're going to see, too, they also teach what the end is of those who don't please God. Right? There's the, especially Psalm 1 talks about that. The other thing, though, and this is what's really stood out to me as I've looked at it this last week. Um, the Psalms are not detached from the rest of the story of the Old Testament or the story of the Bible. Right, the, the Old Testament is clearly moving us along in, in, a, in a progressive story. Um, and even like we saw last time, like Ruth's role in that, right? It's introducing us to the line of David and all of these important things. Well, the, the Psalms are doing the same thing as well. They are moving us forward, and ultimately, they're pointing us to Christ and His fulfillment of all things uh, and the new creation that He is bringing, okay? So... Um, We need to see the Psalms as songs that minister to our hearts as they instruct us and point us to Christ. Okay. Now uh, as we jump, this is a massive book, right? 150 chapters. So we're not going to even touch them hardly tonight. So how I've approached this is a little bit different because I'm going to try and do this in one lesson. So what I've, I've decided to do, I've leaned a lot more heavily on the people that I read and study. And so this will probably be more of an interaction with what I'm reading and studying in them because I have not had, I don't, it would take me weeks to interact with the text in the way that I would want to, to be able to like clearly communicate, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. So most everything I'm saying, I've stolen from somebody else. So I will cite it when I when I do, just so you don't. When you're, it's like, wow, that's a really profound thought, and you're like, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me. Okay. Um, so, the, uh, the, and also there's there's some really good scholarly work on the Psalms, and so we're gonna kind of. Uh, that's also why you have six pages of notes because you have a lot of quotes, things like that in there. All right. Um, the other thing too that struck me. As I was looking at this, and I'm reading all of this material on the Psalms, um, and and I think that we see this in the Psalms most clearly. Uh, We talk about the perspicuity of the Scriptures, which is that anybody can read it and anybody can understand it. If you have the Spirit of God, you can open up the Bible and you can find a passage that you can read, you can understand. You're not going to understand everything about it, but you will understand something, right? Because the Spirit is the one who is teaching us. And I think the Psalms are like the best example of that, again, because of that emotional heart language. You don't have to understand everything the Psalm is saying, but you might find one verse, right, uh, that resonates with you, and the Lord is teaching you with that. So even tonight, as we're going to plow through a ton of material, I hope you understand something about the Psalms better, But if nothing else, you should not be discouraged, but again, just encourage that I can read the Bible, I can understand it for myself, and the Lord uh, meets me there and teaches me. Okay, Okay. so we got six things that I want to try and cover. First of all, the purpose of the Psalms, then we'll talk about the authors of the Psalms and the, the dating, the structure of the five books that make up the Psalms, the various types of genres that we see. The emotions in the Psalms, and then if we have time, we'll get to the self talk and internal dialogue in the Psalms. Okay? So, first of all, the purpose of the Psalms, I've put it this way in short, the Psalms are the inspired hymn book of God's people. They are the songs of the faithful remnant that serve and instruct. Okay? Because again, the Psalms make up this portion of the writings. And the writings is really the, the stories, the songs, the wisdom literature of the faithful ones, right? So this is recorded down through Israel's history. Uh, but we're thinking this is, this is primarily now collected and being utilized by the exiles who are back in the land. Right? And they're asking these questions. Is God faithful to his word? Is, is there any faithful ones left? Okay. So the Psalms are uh, songs that would be sung by the faithful remnant. Okay. Um, now, I've, I think being uh, one who oversees music and has been involved in uh, church music for 15 years or so now, um, I find it fascinating that God has purposed that his people sing. Right? If you think about all the different ways that we could communicate and express things, isn't it fascinating that we sing? Why is that? I think it's because uh, music has a way of sticking things in our heart, right? more than really any other form. Uh, memorization, we can, we can sing, song, we sing songs that we memorized as children and still sing them today. right? There's something powerful in, memoriz- in song. Isn't this uh, another reason Done in songs to make it easier to oh. remember for people that didn't have it written? Uh, it could be. I'm not not 100% certain on that, but there's, you're probably right. I mean, well, you think about uh, uh, back in Exodus, right, when they're delivered out of the Red Sea and the Lord tells Moses, write a song, right, uh, to remember all the things that you've done and teach it to the people of Israel. Or no, that's at the end of Deuteronomy, I think it is. There's also a song in Exodus, too, the crossing of the Red Sea. One. Right. For that purpose of teaching the songs to the people of Israel as they went out. Exactly. Right. So, songs have this important part of really helping us hide the Word of God in our hearts. So, it's uh, really fascinating uh, that God would use this medium. Because, again, and this is my other contention, uh, you are more likely to have a song stuck in your head from our Sunday morning service than a point from a sermon right? At least a phrase or a line or something like that, just because of the way that, that music works and resonates with our uh, our hearts, okay? Um, so the songs that, that we sing, if you think about this, they help us shape our thoughts about God and the world, right? That's why, again, and we think it's so important that we sing true songs, uh, biblical songs, but the inspired songs of the Bible, the Psalms, uh, Teach us not only who God is and what he is like, but what praise to him should be like. So the Psalms, as you go through, right, they comment on God's character and his works in the, in the world and in creation, uh, in the history of Israel and in individual lives, right? So how many songs are David talking about what God has done and delivered him? How many are him praising God for his creative work and his power, um, you know, some of the Psalms that are recounting the Lord's faithfulness in history in the nation of Israel, right? So these are what these, these songs are doing. John Crutchfield said, the book of Psalms teaches people how to communicate with God, to express their emotions, to live well, to understand God's kingdom and to worship him rightly all in a world where evil still lingers and where Yahweh's universal reign is not yet fully manifest on the earth as it is in heaven. Okay. So that's the purpose, kind of the purpose of the Psalms, Broadly, So now let's talk about the authors, the dating, and the superscriptions of the Psalms. So date-wise, first, the Psalms are, if you take the, the first Psalm, Psalm 90, written by Moses, to the last Psalm approximately, 100, Psalm 107, which seems to be a post-exile Psalm, you've got a nearly 1,000-year period, right? Almost the entire history of the nation of Israel is covered. The majority of it, though, is written in about a 500-year period from David and on, right towards the towards the exile okay uh and and well actually probably even less than that the 70 you know, some psalms i think are written by david so half of them during david's life however long that would have been okay um seven different human authors are attributed and some of them have no attribution at all david the most prolific one right 73 uh first samuel talks about him being a skillful musician. Uh, he's, at the end of Second Samuel, given the title, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Uh, maybe when I die, I could have that. The sweet psalmist of Calvary Bible Church or something like that, right? I'd put that on my, my headstone, right? Uh, although I'm not a psalmist, so, huh? You have to vote on that. Do we have to vote on that one? The other one would be chief musician. I do, some churches, they call him the chief musician. I think that's pretty cool, actually, but uh, I'll add that to my, uh, to my title, Associate pastor slash chief musician. Uh, Some of these Psalms, David wrote during crisis moments in his life, so especially the first half of the book, uh, fleeing from Saul and later on fleeing from Absalom, his son, remember, who tried to uh, throw him. Uh, Some are um, crises when confronted over sin. Of course, Psalm 51, when he's confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. Um, the other authors we know of, the sons of Korah, wrote 12 songs. These are men who were servants in the temple and they were gifted musically and served in musical roles, singing and leading worship. You go to like 2 Chronicles 20 verse 19 and read about the sons of Korah. There's Asaph. He wrote 12 psalms. He was a Levite serving in the tabernacle during David's time. Again, a skilled musician who was uh, asked, who was appointed to this role. Uh, 2 Chronicles 29.30 says that he was also a seer uh, or a prophet, okay, a man who received visions from the Lord. Okay, That's kind of who Asaph was. Solomon, we have two Psalms attributed to him, Psalm 72 and 127, of course, the son of David. And Moses, Psalm 90. Is the one that was probably written during the wilderness wanderings. Um, so he's the one, and then there, I think there are two other ones: Herman or Heman, the Ezraite, and Ethan, the Ezraite. Two other—they each have one psalm attributed to them. Now, in your Bible, you notice if you turn to say Psalm three, uh, we have these things called superscriptions. These are titles before the psalms. Um, there are introductory comments. Uh, so these are, are interesting. These are part of the biblical text. We need to understand them as that. They're not like, uh, so in Psalm three, mine has the heading, save me. O my God. So that was added by the translators of the ESV. And then it says a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So those superscriptions are, should be considered to be part of the biblical text. Uh, the earliest Hebrew texts have those in there. Um, so I think that it, this, from the stuff that I have read, we would definitely consider that. The Hebrew Bible actually labels those as verse 1, which is kind of interesting, right? So you'd say verse 1, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, but m- many of the psalms have these. 116 of the 150 have a superscription. So Psalm 3, Psalm 4, uh, and, and these are interesting because one, so they have a number of purposes, Uh, They give a historical setting, so like Psalm 3, when he's fleeing from Absalom. And then you could go, well, what was was happening when David wrote Psalm 3? And I could go to 2 Samuel, and I could read about David fleeing from Absalom. And then that gives you a whole new context in which to understand the psalm. Uh, Or like Psalm 4, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So here's instruction for how it was to be used. Right, orchestrally. So even if you think about like a piece of music that we have, uh, it'll often have like additional notations as part of it. This is how you're supposed to do it. Uh, and then in the music, it'll tell you when to stop playing. Right. So that could be like a Selah, right? Something like that. Um, Psalm seven. You have this word Ashigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush a Benjaminite. So you can go find out. Well, who's who is the uh, Cush a Benjaminite, and that would give you some context. And then the Shigion is a musical term that nobody knows what it actually means. They know it's a musical term. Other than that, don't know. There's, some, some, uh, there's, enough, there's a couple of these mu, uh, musical terms like that. And if you look in your Bible, it'll probably have a little footnote that'll say a liturgical term or a musical term. But ultimately, don't, they don't actually know the, the meanings of those. Uh, like Psalm 18 has a a longer one to the choir master and a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, so that one's really interesting, right? Because you have a historical context, you have a writer and you have instructions for how it is to be used. So you have all of these things kind of, kind of combined. Psalm 70 says to the choir master of David for the memorial offering. So here, this is to be sung at a specific time, or maybe it was written for a specific occasion. Okay? Um, but these are, uh, I think, interesting because they help you interpret the psalm. Right? So again, you get some understanding of, of when it was uh, written, what it was written for. Uh, you'll get to like the psalm uh, in the 120 range. Right, these are the Psalms of ascent, so these would have been sung by uh, people going up to the temple. Right, that's the song of ascent. So those are, are helpful again, just to help you understand what these are, are for. Okay, then let's talk about the structure of the. Or any questions on that so far? Okay, all right. Let's talk about the structure of the book of the Psalms. If you, of the book of Psalms, if you go to again like chapter one, you'll see there are headings throughout the book. And the first one you'll see above Psalm 1, the heading Book 1. And the, the Psalms are comprised of five separate books that have been compiled together to make one book that we have. Okay, uh, And I put in your, your notes kind of a little chart that shows the, the, book, the books, what Psalms they cover, and each book... Ends with a long do- ends with a doxology, and I put that in there, except for the book five ends with a five chapter doxology, right? So it, each one ends with a, a praise to God, and you can see in those verses the similarity, right? Each one is blessed be the Lord or blessed be Yahweh. That's how they all how they all begin, um, and the point of it seems that with these concluding doxologies is that the whole the whole thing is to be understood as praise to God, right? Um, James Luther Mays, I think I put this in your notes, said the Psalms themselves contain more direct statements about God than any other book in the two testaments of the Christian canon. The works of God and the attributes of God are the constant agenda of the Psalms, right? Uh, I have a rabbit trail that I'm not going to go down. Uh, the other thing too, it's interesting. So you see, yeah, book, uh, book one, which is really Psalm three through forty-one, because we consider book or chapter one and two is the introduction. You get to the end of book two, and it says uh, at seventy-two twenty, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Uh, and then, if you were to continue to read along in the Psalms, you'll find more Psalms by David. And so this can. A question can pop up in our mind, why is this? Why do we have psalms after they're supposedly done? Uh, as, the best that I understand is you have, well, primarily books one and two are almost all written by David. So these books are written by David and they're collected as psalms are being written. They're being added together. And then as the, as the time goes on uh, and you're having more psalms that are being collected and added uh, they, or found Probably they discovered other psalms by David and they're added to later books until they're combined into the, into the document that we have today uh, or would have been around a long time ago. This was probably, people uh, assume that this was finalized around the time of Ezra. So 450 BC again. So this is why we think of, this is the songs of the faithful exiles, the faithful remnant in exiles. Okay? So you have you know, books one, David writes that, then he writes more, we get book two. And then we get book three, book four, book five, all added together till it's brought to its full completion. Okay. Um, let's go to Psalm one and two. That so we understand that it's kind of got this this fold uh, uh, division in these these books. And what I, what we're going to get to in just a minute is is talk about how these tell the story of the nation of Israel. Okay, these these five books kind of broadly looking at them do that. But there is an the, Psalms 1 and 2 are important because it kind of served, serves as the introduction. So let's just read these passages. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Okay? These two Psalms, we need to understand, they should be taken together. And together they serve as the the introduction to the book. So Psalm 1 presents two kinds of people, right? The way of the righteous in the way of the sinners, okay, or the wicked. And then it shows the fruit of each way or each path that the person goes down. And then Psalm 2 introduces us to Yahweh's Son, the Anointed One, who is a king who all people are called to serve and submit to. Right. So that's kind of generally what these psalms are doing. There's a number of, of similarities uh, that kind of would indicate that we should take these two psalms together one there's no superscriptions added to it right this is not known to be a psalm of david although peter will say david wrote psalm 2 in in the book of acts so we don't have any any superscription added to it notice how it begins with blessing and ends with blessing so in psalm 1 blessed is the man and then in psalm 2 verse 12 Blessed are those who take refuge, or all who take refuge in him. So it's kind of like bookended by these these blessings. This is how you can be blessed. Uh, The Word and the Son. Uh, There is uh, the usage of the phrase, like, the way, sit, sit meditate plot and perish in both of these psalms so the psalms seem to be showing when taken together both sides of these words so like uh one one we already talked about this the blessing of the man who delights in the law of the lord and blessed is the man who finds refuge in the sun one one you see the sitting of the seat in the scoffer sitting in the seat of scoffers so scoffers sit in the seat but two four he who sits sits in the heavens laughs right uh, one one, you see the way of sinners. One six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Two twelve, those who are scoffers who reject the Lord, they're going to perish in the way for their rejection for not kissing the Son. One two, the blessed man meditates on the law. Two one, the unrighteous plots against the Lord's anointed, and then one six, the wicked perish. And then two twelve, the wicked perish for not kissing the sun. Okay, so these two psalms together seem to uh, be telling us that the way of life and fruitfulness is found in the law and in Yahweh's anointed son. Okay, that's what we kind of need to need to understand. Life is found in the word and in Yahweh's anointed. But uh, there, well, two twelve is really important, right? Because we're told. You find life in the word and you need to take refuge in yahweh's uh son and then notice two seven right who is speaking in two seven yeah right the anointed son right so we have a first person speaker in this whole psalm uh it's the Son. The Son is speaking. This is what Yahweh has said to me. So what it would seem then is with this interconnectedness of the psalm, uh, it's Jesus. It is the anointed Son uh, that is speaking. Okay. So Jason DeRucci and James Hamilton, these are the two guys I, I've really enjoyed reading. They're wonderful scholars. So they've made these points. He said, The psalmist contrasts the sustained satisfaction, the blessedness of the exemplar man, with the sustained unsatisfaction of wicked people. The implicit call of the text is for readers to join the community of the righteous ones who are following God's man's son in pursuing a life rooted in God's word. Only by joining themselves to this obedient royal figure will a community of righteous ones be satisfied, stay alive, and stand vindicated. And then James Hamilton, I think, makes it even clearer. He says, when Psalm 1 is read together with Psalm 2, the synergy between these two pieces of poetry suggests that the blessed man who meditated day and night on the Torah will be the king that the Lord has installed on Zion, his holy hill. This does not necessarily limit the application of the Psalm to the future king, for the congregation of the righteous, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, cannot be so designated unless they too follow the ways of the blessed man. Like him, they are blessed as they take refuge in the King Messiah. The wind-driven chaff, wicked ones, are the raging nations and kings plotting vanity against the Lord's anointed, and they are summoned to learn wisdom and submit to the Son. Okay? I find that fascinating, right? When you see this interconnectedness, and it's really, we want to be those in 1-5, we want to be standing in the congregation of the righteous. Well, how do we do that? By Following the law, by following Torah, by following the Bible, and by submitting to the Son. And, and how is that possible? Well, because there's one who's already done it perfectly in Jesus. Okay? So that serves as an introduction to the whole Psalm, right? Or to the whole Psalm book. This is how, uh, this is the application, right? Obey the Word and obey the Son. Okay? So that's kind of setting us awesome up. Yeah. It's so no, you didn't steal my thunder. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, that's not... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Psalm 2, we're going to get to, in, like, is referenced many times in the New Testament. It's very important Psalm in the New Testament, okay? So that, that we're kind of introduced to uh, the Psalms in these first two Psalms, and then we have these different books. So I want to talk about how the Psalms tell the history of Israel, okay? And again, this is not... I wish that I would have seen this. You know, I could be like, oh, look what I did. But no, I'm just not that that smart. Um, so many would contend that the arrangement of the books and the Psalms within each book and, and the author of the Psalms in each section uh, are telling the history of, eight, of, of the nation of Israel through David and how Israel ultimately finds their fulfillment in a new David. Okay. So again, James Hamilton says, the Psalms then recount the history of Israel from David to the exile, and then they look beyond the exile to the new David who will arise and lead the people back to the land. Really, that's like what a lot of the prophets do as well, right? If you think about that, like here's this history, and then they're looking way beyond, past the exile to, the, to, uh, to a new David, okay? The other thing, and this was um, Jason Derucci made this point. He said that we should view the Psalms as first about Christ and Christ speaking through them, right? He said something to the effect of, of we don't view them typologically about Christ, but the words of Christ. And so his point being then that really changes how we read these and apply them to ourselves. And this is, this is why he would make that. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, and we won't, or you can just look on, on your own. I'm not going to go to now. But Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking on Pentecost, right? And so he stands up and he says... Uh, that David was a prophet and David prophesied about the coming of Christ, right? He says uh, that he foresaw, well, I should actually real quickly look at it. Otherwise I'm going to foresaw this day, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. 2.29, uh, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So David is saying, or Peter is saying, he's properly interpreting what David is saying, properly interpreting the Psalms and saying he's talking about Christ. Okay? So that kind of gives us a framework to interpret these. The other one in, and I read it this morning in, in, uh, in First Peter 1, that Peter says that all the prophets searched and inquired about the day that we have now with the coming of Christ. So they're all looking forward to the coming of Christ. So then we should understand the Psalms, I think, as prophetic about Christ. And some of them are explicitly words of Christ, right? Uh, Jesus says these things, okay? So, so really that, that gives this a whole new language when you understand this is the words of Jesus, Okay. Um, okay. So that that that's the uh, the just a little bit of that. Let's uh, kind of walk through the books and see how they're telling the story. Okay. So the first book is almost all written by David. So you have 40, 43 psalms, forty two psalms that are all written by by David predominantly, and many of these psalms are laments, and it seems to be portraying this picture of David. Uh, becoming the king through struggle. So you remember all those years from uh, about the what, middle of 1 Samuel uh, to the end of the book, it's just him fleeing from Saul. It's really dark, uh, sad days in his life. Uh, he's being persecuted for it. So the first book seems to be following that trajectory. And the second book seems to follow the establishment of David's kingdom and his failures as king. So if you think about, again, there's many laments, you have things like Psalm 51 and again, even his kingdom, even though it has a high point, which some people talk about uh, from like Psalm, uh, it's like 44 on to about 51. This is the time period before the sin of Bathsheba when he is uh, like bringing the ark into Jerusalem and his kingdom reaches really the pinnacle. And so these Psalms kind of follow that, but then you get to Psalm 51 and boom, it, it goes down, but here we see this this response of of him uh to the lord in confession okay and then the last psalm in book two is psalm seventy two which is attributed to written by uh solomon and this is the goal of the davidic kingdom in psalm seventy two that you know he says uh Give to the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Uh, and, you know, it goes down to, um, like, verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Well, ultimately, what king fills this role? Not Solomon, not David, Jesus, right? So this is kind of where it's, it's moving to, Okay. Um, Jason DeRucci again said, God thus led David on his own journey of suffering in order to create a typological context from which to predict the ultimate sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. The Psalter stressed from beginning to end that God would deliver Israel's king and those associated with him and that he would preserve both the king and his kingdom forever. So, we're seeing this progress. We're seeing David go through suffering. Jesus goes through suffering, right? So there's these, these uh, typological connections to be seen there. Book three seems to be reflecting on the downfall of Solomon and the kingdom that came after the kings who came after him. So remember, we have the division of the kingdom and then everything's a mess, right? And, and in Psalm book three, there's very few Davidic Psalms, right? They're, they're almost all gone, so these psalms speak to the people's sin and a future home, uh, future hope. Uh, psalms here which deal with the destruction of the temple like Psalm 74, 79, 83, 88, 89. Psalms that deal with the judgment of the wicked, Psalm 73, 75, 82. Uh, and then songs that that are about hope for the Lord to be known in Zion. So Psalm 77 and 84, okay? So book three is showing that though The line of David has been faithless. The Lord has been faithful. Okay, so this is judgment. Book four, then it would be the songs of the exiles. So it starts in Psalm 93 and goes through Psalm 100. Actually, no, not 93. 90, Psalm 90, sorry. Um, And these Psalms over and over resound the refrain that the Lord is king, that Yahweh is king. So that is an interesting thing, right? Coming on the heels of, failed kings well who's the true king okay Um, these psalms recount what god has done in the past and give confidence for how he will act in the future so especially like psalms uh, 104 5 and 6 105 and 106 especially are here's the history of israel and this is how what the lord has done in the past and he'll be faithful in the future and even it's interesting it begins with us with the psalm from moses right? So here's one going way back and we can see this faithful man of God and what the Lord did there. Remember all of, all of these things. And then book five is the song of the returned exiles who are looking forward to the new David. So this starts in Psalm 107 and goes all the way through the end of the book. Okay. Uh, here, uh, Jim Hamilton says, Psalms 107 through 150 present the eschatological triumph of Yahweh through the conquering Davidic king, who decisively brings about the salvation that comes to Israel through the exile by means of judgment upon Israel's enemies, okay? And also Jason Derushi said on this, the, can- the canoniclers finalized the Psalter when there was no king on the throne. As such, they were singing the Davidic Psalms as pointing forward, not backward, recalling the promises for a new David and allowing the whole Psalter to provide messianic music that hopes in the future of the Davidic kingdom on the other side of exile and initial restoration. So he's saying that because, so books one and two, almost all David. Books three and four, almost no David. Book five, David returns again as a psalmist. So if you're in exile, you're singing Psalms written by David going, there's a new David coming one day, right? Looking forward to that, to that future, future hope. Okay. So the, the thing that I find fascinating, even the structure and order of these books is pointing us to Christ, right? Just like the whole old Testament, like it's all moving in this direction. Uh, The, the organization of the whole old Testament is moving us in that direction and books within that are moving us in that direction. I find that fascinating. Again, it's not an accident that, that this is, comprised this way questions on that good all right let's talk about for a little bit the various genres or types of psalms um now you could approach a study of the psalms just in a literary sense of looking at the different types of uh, psalms that are in in the the book uh but that would leave you kind of flat in a way uh so there is a, I think, a single focus to the to the Psalms, but it's also helpful to know the different types of Psalms that we have. Um, and like we were talking earlier, this is going to relate to that emotional language, you know. So you'll be reading, and one Psalm is really like kind of bluesy, another is just rejoicing and exultant. Uh, why is that? Okay. Um, and some Psalms will have multiple characteristics, right? They'll they'll have uh, several. Uh, multiple types combined. I put in your notes this giant chart from Jason Darucci, uh, which is actually really helpful because he's got all the different sub- genres, the author, um, w- how, what each psalm is genre-wise. So if you want to uh, use that in your own Bible study, if you're like, "Hey, what am I reading?" Well, here, this kind of give you a framework. Okay, but these are um, these uh, types are all taken from multiple commentators and I compiled together to make one, one big list. Okay. So the first one would be praise, right? Praise, uh, is an expression of admiration or approval, right? So whenever we are approving of something, uh, you're praising it. Hey, you look really nice today. I'm praising you, right? That's what, that's what we're doing. But in the Psalms, that praise and admiration is turned to God, And for certain characteristics uh, for his works. So, like Psalm 117, the shortest of the Psalms praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Why? For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Okay, so here's an expression of admiration or praise because of a specific characteristic about God and his work. Then we have lament. Okay, this is really what takes up a big portion of the first. Uh, book. Turn to Psalm 6, and these are, again, in the history of David's life when he's fleeing from Saul or Absalom. And lament is probably the most difficult category because we don't really have a cultural category of lament. Um, you know, like in, in uh, I don't think they do it anymore, but in Israel and years ago, they would hire grievers and mourners Right to help lament a death, and you know you think about the sitting in sackcloth and ashes. We just don't do that. Um, I remember a number of years ago. Does anybody know who Rob Bell is? He's a heretic now, but he used to be not quite as much of a heretic. And at the time, I thought he was kind of cool, and I thought I was going to be like emergent, but like a good emergent, if you know what that is. But I remember listening to a ser- some sermons that he preached from Lamentations, and he brought out points that we. We don't like the uncomfortableness of grief and mourning, and we're always trying to cover it over. I think that's really actually true. Culturally, we don't like to do that. Um, but the Bible doesn't, right? Lament is a pretty common common language, okay? So lament is, uh, I would define it this way, it's hard asking, it's asking hard questions of God or complaining in the right way. So even you think about when we went through Habakkuk a couple weeks ago, right? He's complaining to god but it's not a sinful complaint okay um, mark vrogop if i'm gonna say his uh, name properly he defines lament this way and i think it's really helpful a prayer in pain that leads to trust right a prayer in pain that leads to trust i'm in pain i'm crying to the lord and i'm led to trust him that's what the, the Psalms are, are doing, okay? And it begins with hard questions and painful situations and moves to trust in God. So look at Psalm 6. First, you have an address to God. Verse 1, "O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And then you have a request, verses two and three. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Right, So I lament, often think of it in the context of like, how long is wickedness going to persist? You know, uh, Verses 4 and 5, here's a, the reason for his request. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? So here he's saying that, that steadfast love, that said, that's that covenant-keeping love, He's saying, turn to me because of what you've done, your steadfast covenant-keeping love. Deliver me because of that. Then verses six and seven, you have the problem or the pain or the trouble. It says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So in lament, you can, you, we cry to the Lord and say, like, I hurt. This is painful. This is hard. And and we're it's not wrong to express like this is what I'm feeling, right? That's what in the lament you're doing. But then notice the last part here, verses eight and nine. A statement of confidence in the Lord. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So lament is, you see how he's progressed, right? He's, he's reminding himself and the Lord of who, what the Lord has promised to do. He's expressing a pain and ultimately it moves him to a confident trust. Uh, Lamentations, well, the whole book is a lament, but chapter three, of course, we're really familiar with, right? Uh, I feel like you're, you've driven your arrows into me uh, I'm sunken in the mire, uh, but what do I remember? Great is your faithfulness, right? So that's, that's what lament does. It moves us from pain to trust. It's complaining in a right way. Does that make sense? Lament is an un, a language we don't use enough, I don't think. Uh, wow, we're we gonna move. Thanksgiving, uh, Psalm 30 is a good example of this. So we're giving thanks to God for a specific help or a deliverance. So the psalmist writes, "I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from shale; you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent." O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalms of confession of sin. So Psalm fifty-one, of course, the most well-known, I think. Uh, but these are psalms that are modeling for us proper uh, a proper heart disposition before the Lord with sin. So Psalm fifty-two, Psalm twenty-five, Psalm thirty-two, and and even in uh, in other psalms, you'll see portions of them where the psalmist is. Uh, crying out to the Lord, confessing his sin, agreeing with God that what he has done is wrong, right? Uh, then you have the psalms that are royal, kingly themed. Uh, so these psalms reflect on God as king, the coming of a king, request for the for the wisdom of of a king. So you have a number of them, Psalm 2, Psalm 18, 20, 21, 45, 72. Uh, I'm not gonna, those are just numbers... But look at Psalm 45. This is the one that you see all of these elements. So you see a human king, a messianic king. You see God's kingly sovereign rule. Uh, Psalm 45, verse 1, "'My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. "'I address my verses to the king. "'My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. "'You are the most handsome of the sons of men. "'Grace is poured upon your lips. "'Therefore God has blessed you forever.'" Gird your sword on gird your sword on your thigh O mighty one in your splendor and majesty in your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness let your hand teach your awesome deeds right this is like speaking about the lord as king your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies the people's fall under you your throne o god is forever and ever the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness okay that's quoted in hebrews chapter 1 right Uh, To which of the angels do he ever say, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Uh, So speaking about the sun, that is the right passage, right? Hebrews 1? I think it is. I I say that and then I question whether I'm right. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Okay, Then we have the wisdom psalms. So this is similar to the wisdom literature, which we'll get to in Proverbs and in Job. Okay. And wisdom literature in general and wisdom literature in the Psalms is teaching about how one can practically live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so that's the wisdom literature. Uh, There's a general blessing that comes upon those who walk in God's design, right? Even, this is the common grace, even those who don't know the Lord, if you're walking in according to godly principles, there's blessing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we have the historical Psalms. Uh, So like Psalm 78, these are recounting the history of Israel or specific events. Uh, And these are always looking at the history of Israel through a covenantal lens. So just like the prophets do that, these Psalms are kind of covenantal evaluations. Uh, You can go read Psalm 78 on your own and you can get a a good idea of that. I'm not going to read it all. It's 55 verses. We don't have time. (laughs) Okay. So that kind of gives you an idea of the different types or genres of the Psalms that you'll sing. Then I want to try and in the last few minutes here, uh, go through, um, two sections on the emotions of the Psalms and self-talk in the Psalm. And I, I think this is actually really practical. I hope, I hope it's really, really practical. Um, so we, we've touched on a number of times, right? The emotive language of the Psalms. Um, to have emotions is to be human, right? It, it's part of what well, we are. God has emotions, uh, but our huh? We're created exactly. We're created in His image, but God's emotions are always right. Ours are not, right? We we uh, display sinful emotions quite awful often, right? Um, so emotions are our experience, our responses to experience. Okay, so the word comes from two Latin words. Uh, this is somebody else's definition that says the inter experience that stems from attitudes that stirs you to a particular action or response. Okay. So it's the inter experience that stems from attitudes that stirs you to a particular action or response. So I see something, I feel something, something is done to me and how I respond are my emotions. Um, so some people have used, I think it's really helpful. The language that the emotions are the window to the soul. Right? That uh, I, under, I can, as I look at my emotions, I can kind of see what's going on in my heart and how I'm, how I'm responding to things. Okay? So the Psalms, I think what they do is they help us process those emotions and then channel them in proper ways and express what God glorifying emotions look like. Right? Uh, if I'm going to be angry, I want to be angry about the right things. If I'm going to be joyful and happy, I want to be joyful and happy about the right things. And the Psalms are showing us what to do, okay? So John Crutchfield again says, The poems in the Psalter demonstrate how to channel these emotions in ways that are authentic and honest as well as healthy and positive. So you have this continuum of emotions. Again, this is from, uh, uh, if you want another Old Testament survey book, there's a really accessible one called um, Jesus' Bible. It's a long title. Jesus' Bible, what the Old Testament authors really cared about, a survey of Jesus' Bible. Jason DeRucci edited that, and there's a number of other people. It's a really, really helpful book. But they have this uh, continuum, so it's supposed to be in color, red on one side, moving to like green on the other side, but it printed in black and white, so it doesn't really do as much for you visually as I had hoped. Uh, so you have Psalms that are demonstrating anger and rage. These are imprecatory. Lord, destroy my enemies, right? That that's that's that fear and sorrow, lament. So again, why is this happening? You're asking questions. Uh, This is a painful experience. Uh, That's that's an emotion. I'm I'm scared. Okay, faith amidst danger. Psalms of trust. Uh, I I am feeling this this way, but I'm I'm trusting you, Lord. Wisdom psalms, Thanksgiving psalms of praise. Um. So we'll just kind of touch on these briefly here. Anger and rage. Right anger flows from, a prop, from, from true injustice uh, or, or like in Yahweh's case, a rejection of Israel's love. Right? So he's rightfully angry because Israel has broken the covenant. Okay? Um, proper anger and rage is not concerned with personal vindication. And what the Psalms do is they teach us to submit these urges to God. When I'm angry, am I the one that's to vindicate myself? Uh, no, I submit that to the Lord. Lament, again, we talked about it earlier, but an expression of emotional pains or emotional wounds. Uh, With lament, uh, sometimes we want to bottle those emotions up, right? And here we're we're told to pour them out to the Lord. Here's my pain, here's my hurt, my sorrow. If it's not dealt with properly, it leads to bitterness when we don't deal with lament properly. Trust, trust expressing confidence in what God is going to do. So here the psalmist may be in the midst of danger, but he is assured that the Lord will deliver him and bring him through. Thanksgiving, this is the response from those who have experienced or who know the love of God. And then worship, this is the goal for all of God's creation, that we're praising, praising the Lord. And the end of the Psalms uh Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's the goal, okay? Then finally, self-talk and internal dialogue. This is not from from me either. This is uh, from that same book, and I thought this was really fascinating. Uh, I put in your notes this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says, have you not realized that most of the unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Now, and he's commenting on Psalm 42. This man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are, th- why are thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. I think this is fascinating because, uh, I don't know if it's just true of the time now, but there, there's this idea that like, you need to do what makes you feel happy right? How many signs do you see like motivational sign in the bathroom? Do what makes you feel good today, right? Do what makes you you happy. That's a form of, of talk to yourself that you need to, uh, please your, please yourself. Um, do what makes yourself self happy, love yourself. Um, and these are all forms of listening to yourself, not talking to yourself, right? If I always do exactly what I want, because it's going to make me feel happy. Ultimately, I'm not going to be too too happy right i'm gonna go indulge every sinful passion that i want right because well i think that's gonna make me happy well the psalmist psalms are saying don't do that don't listen to yourself why well your heart is deceitful desperately wicked and it, it it is opposed to the things of god or your 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 flesh the old man is which still resides within us so i can't listen to myself i have to talk to myself and tell myself the truth of of scripture um you could go, I, I Googled something like this, self-talk, and I came up. there's an article, uh, Nine Ways to Start Listening to Yourself More, and it was, it was terrible. It was humorous, uh, but the, the premise was that you need to listen to yourself and do what pleases you because that's the only way you're going to find true happiness, and the Bible is completely opposed to that notion. Um, so uh, again, Psalm 42, or like uh, Psalm 116, Right? Here's the psalmist speaking to himself. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You're reminded, uh, you know, the Lord's not forsaken me. He's, done, he's dealt bountifully with me. I need to speak that truth to myself because my heart needs to believe it. And, and, some, and you go like, well, but, but I don't sometimes. I doubt that truth. But that's why you need to tell it to yourself. It's true. So even if you don't, you need to continue to remind yourself with the truth of Scripture. Return, O my soul, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. How has he dealt bountifully with me? Oh, now I can recount all the ways, right? This is what the, the psalmist is doing. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? So I'm talking to myself. Last quote, and then we'll be done. John Crutchfield again, by means of expressing a wide range of human emotions and by repeated self exhortations, the psalmist demonstrated authentic human experience as well as healthy and godly internal dialogue. Their personal charges were based not on the disappointments and dangers of this world, but on the truth of God's person and works, right? So this is why uh, I think it's uh, a name. Jerry Bridges, right? Uses the phrase like, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, Right, I need to continually remind myself of these truths and uh, speak them to my heart because I don't, I don't obey them always. I, I, a lot, I disobey.